It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody could ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by New York Lottery. Thanks so much for tuning in. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. With you for the next 60 minutes in multiple ways. You can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring at 201-939-4513. Find us on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. You can also directly tweet at us at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at GiantsWFAN. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms, everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. So the Giants coming off a very impressive 27-17 win over the Philadelphia Eagles to split the season series, but more important, finally snapped that eight-game losing streak coming in. The Eagles had also won 12 of 13, 21 of 25, so whoever was holding the voodoo doll, thank you very much for putting that down. It's about time. I think that's long overdue as the Giants got their first win over the Eagles since 2016. Back-to-back divisional wins and 3-2 and two now in the division entering the bye. So a lot of momentum here over the last few weeks. And Paul, this game to me is a game in which I think all three facets put their stamp on this victory. You could point to the special teams with Riley Dixon's punting, Graham Gano coming through with field goals. The field positioning was not a gift at all throughout the game to the Eagles. The strong rushing attack, Daniel Jones's decision-making, and then of course the defense, like we saw against Washington, forcing a pair of turnover on downs on each of the last two possessions to seal the win. Well, you know, Lance, I'm going to go for a fourth item, and that is anybody who listens to this show on a regular basis, they know that Jeff Eagles and I were talking last week on BBKL about planting some garlic in the middle of the field that would exercise <laughs> the Eagles' demons and the hex. Well, indeed, it has been effective and worked, so I suppose we're going to have to go back to the Italian market and get some more garlic for the rest of the season. But having said that, uh, you are absolutely correct. The Giants played a very high-level and efficient game in every area. Uh, I, I can honestly tell you, uh, even though they had some good games this year, certainly against Tampa Bay, that was a well-played game against a high-quality opponent. Uh, they played well for the most part against Pittsburgh opening night. Uh, obviously, the, the Rams and the Bears consider themselves playoff contenders, and the Giants played very, very tight games against them. I don't think there's been any game this year where the Giants were as high a level and as high efficiency as they were yesterday against the Eagles. And as a result of that high efficiency, notice they did not turn the ball over for the second straight game. And, Paul, we've talked about this on this show plenty of times, turnover differential synonymous with wins and losses. I don't think it's any coincidence that now the Giants have won two straight games in which they have held on to the ball and they've protected the football. And that was partially because of Daniel Jones's decision-making in terms of when to walk that fine line of being aggressive when, for example, he threw the 40-yard completion to Darius Slayton that set up the field goal to make it a two-possession game. And then also taking what the defense gave him. He had the big rushing touchdown himself. But the presence of the running game, to me, showed up immensely in terms of Paul down and distance. And 5 of 14 on third down doesn't jump off the page. But here's where you got to peel the layers back a little bit more. 10 of those 14 downs were for five yards or less. And the reason being, Paul, was because of the efficiency on first and second down Mm -hmm. as a result of that rushing attack. Well, how many times have we said throughout the course of the season, because this has actually been true from the beginning, and that is the Giants have been a very average team. Not bad, but right in the middle of the pack. They've been very average when it comes down to third and five or less. Their problems beginning back in September, were in the long-yarded situations. And you have talked about this virtually every week. This is one of the stats that you love as one of your pet peeves. And it's really coming to focus now because the Giants have tried to shorten those third-down situations and put themselves in more manageable spots. We have seen from the very get-go they can handle the third and medium-range downs. That's just not something that that they are are incapable of doing and a lot of people were were not recognizing this you've been on it from the beginning 
And what we've now seen, and, and I want to go back to your other point about the turnover situation, is not only are you converting more of your third downs, which allows you to keep the ball, but then by not turning the ball over, you're able to do more with those drives. And Daniel Jones has now gone, I believe it's almost nine quarters without throwing interception. And in each of the last two weeks, I've counted two sacks in each of those games where I saw a significant difference in in him, where he held the ball, ate it, and took the sack, where a month and a half ago he would have tried to throw it and make a play, and it probably would have turned out bad. And I think that is incredibly significant. I'm with you. It's all about at-bats. I like to use the baseball analogy when you have those lengthy drives, to your point, and you protect the football. Number one, you don't give gifts to the opposition. And that showed up in terms of the Eagles not having any gifts whatsoever in terms of moving the football into the red zone. I mean, they had to go 75, 80 yards throughout this entire game if they wanted to score, and we'll get to that in a second. But then the other aspect is when you are efficient in terms of third down as well as holding on to the football, you get then within striking distance, which the Giants did, but they also finished within the red zone, Paul. And that's not just something that we saw, by the way, in yesterday's game. They're 9 of 11 over Mm -hmm. the last four games in the red zone. Prior to that, Paul, they were 4 of 16 in the red zone. So you wonder, okay, well, what has dramatically changed? Why are they punching it in? Well, here we go. The rushing attack. Think about this. When you're inside the opponent's 20, you have not nearly as much space to work with. So, you know, you can't air it out. You can't take those deep shots. You have to be efficient in those small spaces. The best way to do that, of course, is pound the ball, no matter what angle you're running at. And by them having the ability to run in those short spaces, and the offensive line deserves a lot of credit as well, that's why they're finishing. And that's why they're not settling for three points. They're putting touchdowns on the board. And that was why they came right out of the gates. First two possessions of the game, Giants scored touchdowns. Why? Because they were very good at running the football. You know what, Lance? It boggles my mind. I started doing this, the BBK show as one of the rotating hosts. I guess it was about 11 years ago. You and I first started doing a, a similar type of show for post games. And then yeah. it developed into what is now the full-fledged BBK show. And you know from the very beginning when I first got here, I kept talking about power football, winning the trenches, having a, a strong offensive line, smashing it, make sure that you have an effective and functional running game. It doesn't have to have explosiveness and exciting kind of numbers all the way around the board. It just has to be a running game that you can count on when you need it. It has to be situational, efficient, and functional. And all of these things I heard for the first five or six years that I was doing this show, oh, you're old school, it doesn't work anymore, running the ball doesn't matter, offensive line isn't important, you need the quarterback, you need the receivers, got to make big plays, got to throw it. I heard all that garbage and all that junk, okay? And that's all it was. And I held firm to all of it, and now the Giants have finally come around to, to, to implementing the kind of things that we all know Football 101 says works. And all of these things, it's, it's, it, it's like my entire checklist, my entire menu is now starting to get filled out again for the first time in a long time. And this is what winning NFL football is supposed to look like. And the Giants are now starting to check most of those boxes. They're not quite there yet. They still got work not. to do. Let's sure. not kid ourselves, Lance. The team, the team is what I said they were going to be all along. A middle-of-the-road, 500-caliber team. And the first month of this season was to be a pseudo-preseason. We'll take away the 0-4 start. What are the Giants? They are 3-3. Three and three. They are a middle-of-the-pack, 500 team. They are not the dreg that most people wanted to project them as because they are not the same team that took the football field in September. They're just not. Well, and the whole goal is you want to see progression out of a team. And I think we're at that point where we're starting to see the Giants correct some of those self-inflicted wounds that were coming back to bite them and plaguing them at the worst possible time. But to your point, 
listen, you look at the division right now, you got the Eagles at three, five, and one. You got the Giants at three and seven, and then Washington and Dallas at two and seven. So everybody's still very much bunched together. The small things, the nuances of the game is going to determine who wins this division because right now, you know, nobody has been able to separate themselves from the pack because everybody's had their ups and downs, very similar to the Giants. But I want to build off of that parallel based on your point about playing the trenches and the fundamentals. Well, if you didn't watch any of this game yesterday and you looked at the final score and you were wondering, well, how is it that the Giants won 27-17 if the Eagles, for the first time this season, by the way, Paul, the Eagles didn't turn the ball over either, okay? So Philadelphia's going back and they're saying to themselves, wait a minute, we've been plagued by turnovers. We're minus seven. We actually protected the football, yet we still lost by 10 points. So you wonder, okay, wait a minute, how did Philadelphia then not finish this game? Well, it's simple. The Giants, I mentioned the third downs and distances. The Eagles were 0 for 9 on third down. But forget the 0 for 9. How about the fact that, Paul, six of those nine downs were for 10 yards or more? So what was the biggest difference between the Giants and the Eagles? Well, the Giants had much more favorable third downs and distances. And that gave them more flexibility in the play calling compared to what Philadelphia was looking at when Philadelphia was facing especially all in the second half, third and 11, third and 14, third and 11, third and 18, third and 10, third and 10. I mean, your chances of execution are going down, regardless of the talent. And also, the Eagles were plagued by penalties. Now, the Giants had seven, but Philadelphia was a consistent flow throughout the game. So we bring it back to fundamentals. That's how this game was won for one team and lost for the other team. Well, before you get off of the stat for the penalties, remember the Giants took two delay of games on purpose. Correct. They were intentional. So yeah. really, five penalties. That's fair. And, now, and granted, not, the Eagles, just real quickly, they also took a delay of game penalty intentionally. Correct. Too. Correct. And and quite frankly, I also think the one pass interference call on uh, Yadam, I believe it was, down the sideline. When the, the ball was Holmes, was that Holmes? Uh, it was Holmes. It was Holmes. Yeah, on the the one throw down the left sideline, the ball was uncatchable and way out of bounds. Uh, to me, a very questionable call. That's a flag that certainly should have been picked up. But having said all of that, what 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 did we see in addition to the 0 for 9 that the Giants defense held Philadelphia for on third down? They also held them to one for three on fourth down which is also something important when you play the Eagles because you know Doug Peterson is going oh, yeah. to take those chances. And so you need to be able to, to win that down also. I think the other thing that is very significant here, when you talk about the style of play, we talk about the NFC East being so bunched up and so cluttered. And what has really been the difference over the last five or six years in this division? It has been... Dallas with that strong offensive line, Philadelphia with that strong defensive line. It goes back to football 101, how the teams in this division are always going to sort themselves out by who bullies the other team in the trenches. Well, the Giants aren't getting bullied anymore, okay? They've eaten their Popeye spinach, and now they are the bullies. And that is the difference. This team, the Fighting Joe Judges, has developed over the last two months into the team that is now going to sock you in the mouth when it comes to the line of scrimmage. And they've now exhibited that well over the last month of of what we have seen. And I I see no reason for it not to continue as they can, as they use these, these linemen, these offensive linemen and, and even the defensive line. I mean, Hey, 13 quarterback hits. If you saw my Twitter page, Lance, The Giants haven't had that many quarterback hits in a game since 2014 against Washington. That's a bunch of years now. Leonard Williams had five yesterday. That's that's the kind of defense that you want to play with your guys up front. Well, speaking of just getting after the quarterback, what's also jumped out to me, they've had at least two sacks in every game this season. So, you know, even the presence up front has been fairly consistent. Has it always been an X factor and a difference maker? No, but it has been consistent. And by wearing down Carson Wentz, by forcing him to get rid of the football, that led to a number of incompletions. I mean, look at Daniel Jones's numbers compared to Wentz. Daniel Jones was 21 of 28, so he had seven incompletions. Carson Wentz had 16. Carson Mm -hmm. Wentz had double the amount of incompletions that Daniel Jones had. And a lot of that was, I would argue, the Giants getting hits on him or at least providing the pressure to make sure he would get rid of the football quickly. Let, let me just work off of Jones's numbers for one second, though. You mentioned 21 of 28 for 244, okay? Let me add that there were three drops, one by Gallman and two by Slayton, 
So he easily could have been 24 out of 28. And on the other side of the ledger, and we've now seen this start to happen in the last three weeks, what have the Giants receivers done? Something I've been asking for for a long time, Lance, and I've really emphasized it this year, make the contested catch. Yeah. They helped him out again yesterday. We had one by Slayton. We had one by Shepard. We had one by Tate. What about Deion last... Lewis made a great play, too? Deion Lewis had him. a good one, too. I, yeah. I, here I am. He's a running back. I was leaving no, him off the I list. No, but I think we should include everybody. I, I look at it and that's playmakers good making plays. It's Paul. a good point. It's a good point. Yeah. Still a contested catch. And week after week, you watch the highlights, the NFL highlights at night or the next morning, and every game there's a team making two or three contested catches for their quarterback, and it makes all the difference in the world. Okay, in terms of his numbers, your yardage production, and even your scoring opportunities. The Giants have done a horrible job at contested catches over the last several years. That's how they, they, they ruined a lot of Eli's numbers, and they weren't really helping Daniel Jones out a whole lot either. Well, lately, they're making contested catches, and those contested catches usually lead to really good drives that turn into points. And it's not a coincidence that they're making contested catches these last few weeks. And, oh, wow, guess what? Now the Giants are averaging 24 points a game over the last month and a half. When in the first month of the season, they were only averaging 11 points a game. Help out your quarterback because once that ball leaves his hand, there's nothing else he can do to make the play. Your guy on the other side has to finish off the play. Finish the play. They've been doing it. And I can't say enough about how important that is. Help your quarterback out. He can't do it by himself. And uh, it's, it's great to see. It goes both ways. It's the relationship between the quarterback and his targets. And you think about the first Eagles game. Unfortunately, Evan Ingram couldn't make that play on third down. Well, the Giants didn't have to revisit that because guys went up, got footballs, put the Giants in the red zone, and then they were able to finish drives. Those catches came at such critical points. So sure there's did. no doubt about that. As Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by the New York Lottery. Get out there and play. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here on Monday's edition. We're recapping the Giants' 27-17 victory over the Eagles. Two straight wins here entering the bye week. So now they have an opportunity to rest, recuperate, maybe get some guys back healthy as they get set for the Cincinnati Bengals. And we'll certainly get into that as we move forward here. Right now, let's open up the lines at 201-939-4513. Kevin is in Florida. He gets us going. What's happening, Kevin? Kevin, are you there? Kevin going once. Yeah, I'm here. Yes. How you guys doing? We're doing Hi. very well. What's happening? So, you guys there? Can you hear yeah, me? Yeah, we hear you, Kevin. Yeah. All right, okay, perfect. Yeah, no, I just, look, I actually felt something as a Giants fan for the first time in a while yesterday, and I had to call in today to just express my excitement. I mean, you guys hit the nail on the head earlier. I mean, this team is just progressing. We're playing with a sort of ferociousness that, we haven't played with uh, or played played at that level, at least, in a long time, in my opinion. And I think a lot of this can be credited to a judge. I think that he's putting together the pieces right now for what could be a winning organization down the line, um, you know, and real, like, playoff contenders. Um, I know the NFC East right now is it's, it's wild to think that a 6-10 and 10 team could actually, you know, make the playoffs. But, you know, the Giants have a tough six games ahead of them. Um, and, you know, it's just exciting to see them on the right track and, I do think that they're playing the best football in the division right now. So uh, just from a standpoint of a question to you guys, Joe Judge, you know, he's putting together this, this team right now. There's a lot of young guys um, shifting pieces in and out. Um, you know, had some, some drama in the locker room last week, which looks like it was put to rest, which I also credit him for. So I wanted to ask, in your opinion, what is he doing this season so far that you think is bringing this team together that maybe we didn't see under the past couple of administrations? And I'll take the question off the air. Thank you. All right, Kevin. Appreciate the phone call. I mean, the one thing that I'll start with, Paul, I think the one thing that jumps out to me, and this to me is just a staple of what Patrick Graham and Joe Judge have both brought to the Giants. I don't think it's fair to just say Joe Judge is the New England philosophy under Belichick, which is we've got to develop the roster from top to bottom. And the emphasis we put in the practice squad or the 52nd guy on the roster is just important as Daniel Jones. And that's why you're seeing the rotation on the offensive line. You're seeing Patrick Graham put a lot of defensive players in so that when somebody gets hurt, 
the transition is not baptism by fire because a lot of these guys already got their feet wet. That, to me, I think is by far the biggest difference in which the Giants are making strides week in and week out. You could afford to do that when those guys earn those snaps and earn your trust, though, Lance. And I sure, think, it goes both ways. Yeah. You know, and, and you can't rely on some of those younger guys to do some of the things that Joe Judge wants to do if those guys are not deserving of it. And the previous administration, you know, we talk about, you know, the personnel department and the, the college personnel department bringing in, you know, young guys in the draft, young free agent rookies who need to come in and do some stuff. I mean, look at Austin Mack again yesterday. He makes a key block on the Daniel Jones touchdown run. Yeah. He had he had a nice contested catch again. We know what he did against Washington the week before. Those guys don't get chances if they're not talented enough, if they're not coached up enough, and then don't deserve the opportunity to get into a game to help make winning plays. Well, the Giants have a much younger team now with a bunch of guys who are talented and simply need to grow, develop, mature, and take coaching to achieve the next level. And that's why this team, in my mind, is so much different than some of the other teams that finished with losing records in recent seasons. And, of course, again, for the five trillionth time, can't say enough about this coaching staff and how they cultivate these guys. They know what they've got. They see the seeds. They plant them, and they get these guys to grow. It's a beautiful thing to watch. Let's head back to the line. Scott is in New Mexico. What's happening, Scott? Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Doing all right, Scott. You guys both made really excellent salient points on the Giants, but I, you did leave one thing out, and I wanted to talk about that because I think it's really made a difference, and that's Daniel Jones' ability to run. Uh, you look at the quarter, you know, look at teams like Seattle, Kansas City, Arizona, Green Bay, even New England. They all have quarterbacks that have the ability to break a game wide open. And that sort of happened yesterday with Daniel Jones' run. And, of course, he had that second one called back because of the penalty. But that's a very important characteristic because, again, it makes teams have to be aware of that. And I think that's really helped the Giants immensely. And also I wanted to know if you've seen, not necessarily in this game, but in games prior to this, that there's been a maturation process, not only with Daniel Jones, but with the way they're playing football now. I think you sort of touched on it. Um, but I think this, as you go week to week, and you both know that it's a week to week season, and each game is its own entity. But I've noticed in the game yesterday, I got the sense that they that they've gone to another level. And the reason I disagree with you, Paul, that they're sort of a middle of the road team, um, I think it was Howie Long, Howie Long at the end of the game, uh, if you're watching on Fox, uh, on the commentary said they're the best team. He's talking about the Giants in the division right now, and he sort of made the overture that they can actually be better than what they were. I was wondering if you two had the sense that they can actually rise even further now because they seem to have gotten, they seem to become a team where before there were individual plays. Now, and as you know, individual plays can make or break a game. Uh, the Darius Slayton uh, catch, which I think you mentioned, I thought was the turning point in the game and the way he Huge. adjusted yeah. to the ball. Uh, so do you sense that now? Because I, I think a lot of commentators are sensing that now. But the characteristic of, of Daniel Jones running the way he can is a weapon that teams have to control, and he's one of the best at it that I've seen in a long time. Uh, I know they're talking about his speed, getting up to 21 you know, miles an hour and running that fast. <laughs> I didn't realize he had that ability, uh, which is pretty amazing stuff. So uh, I was wondering... Overall, if you look at the Giants and where they're going, as I said, it's a week-to-week season, so I'm not putting so much in every game. But in this game, I did see a maturation process of not only the quarterback, but also the other people on the team, which you sort of addressed. But the one characteristic you can't really uh, put a finger on is how good he is on the ability to run and make defenses uh, play that. Uh, And I just want to get your commentary on that, and I'll take your answers off the air, guys. Thanks. All right, Scott, Scott, Scott you touched on the one sore spot that doesn't apply to my version of football 101, and that is a running quarterback. 
I quite frankly don't like the number of planned runs that they use Jones on during the course of the game. Uh, to me, I think those are very dangerous. I don't mind the quarterback sneaks. I don't mind an occasional bootleg, maybe once a game. But but they're certainly implementing quarterback runs into their game plan at a at a regular rate. Uh, I cringe at that. I, I know he's bigger than a lot of these other QBs, and he's more athletic than a lot of them. So he's got a chance to make them work. To me, that's playing with fire, Lance. I'd, I'd rather see them do a little less of that. But again, given what they have offensively now, right, right now without Barkley being their bell cow and their big play guy who can score from anywhere on the field, I suppose they feel as though this is something that's necessary. I hope when Barkley is back in 2021 that they, they kind of pull the reins in a little bit on that game plan. Well, I don't think you ever go into a season wanting your quarterback to be your leading rusher. Now, coincidentally, Baltimore and Arizona are in the same position as the Giants. And what is the common frame there? Well, Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson are also capable of being running quarterbacks. See, to me, we've got to be careful. There's a difference between being a mobile quarterback and a running quarterback. And I don't want to get too off topic, but the last caller threw Green Bay in. Aaron Rodgers, to me, is not a running quarterback. He's a mobile quarterback. Aaron's not going to run unless he truly has to, to maybe salvage the play. So there's a little bit of a difference. Now, Daniel Jones certainly would apply to being a running quarterback, but I do think now when you play the Giants, this to me is an indication of the maturation process. Now you have to think about, we got to worry about Wayne Goldman, Paul. We got to worry about Alfred Morris when they're in the backfield. But we also have to worry about Daniel Jones faking the handoff and then curling to the outside or running up the gut. So I like that element being in play. I like the fact that it keeps the defense from just saying to themselves, yeah, we just got to worry about the running backs. No, you got to worry about now the quarterback. And Daniel Jones has done a really good job selling the fakes too, Paul. You know, let's give him some credit, okay? You know, I don't know if it's maybe the acting job or he's watching movies in his spare time, but he's doing a really good job to help sell the play and open up the alleys and lanes for him. And I don't mind that. I think, of course, a quarterback got to be careful. And I think he's going to have to learn sometimes I got to slide instead of maybe taking the hit. And that will come with more and more experience. But I have no issue, and I think it gives Jason Garrett flexibility. The other thing that I think is attached to that, you know, this also to me plays into the maturation process. I think Jason Garrett realizes the offensive line is playing better. Guys are more comfortable with one another. So he can now tap a little bit deeper into his playbook, and he can understand that Daniel Jones's decision-making has come a long way. So that's where I see everything coming into place. I don't think it's just the players. I think Garrett now feels a lot more comfortable in terms of the personnel he's working with. Oh, I think that's very fair. And Joe Judge, by the way, he didn't want to use this as an excuse. And that's why another reason why I really, really like this guy so much. Because he he's he's very methodical and he understands that the process is going to take some time. He understands you're going to step on some nails as you go through it. But he's never going to use it as an excuse. He just deals with the reality. And if you listen very carefully to some of his pressures, at least two or three times over the course of the last two or three months, he has said very nicely, Lance, that those first four games were going to be a feeling out process where the coaches needed to identify what they had. They could figure out how to use what they had and the players could have faith and trust and belief in, in, in the scheme and in the coaches. And that's why I called September, or those first four games, pseudo preseason games. And, you know, this was never more apparent than this season because of the 2020 COVID situation that threw everything out of whack. It was never more apparent that this was going to be a, a very unique first month of NFL football, especially for teams that had new coaching staffs and had turnover on their roster. And that's exactly how the Giants fit into this equation. It is not a surprise at all to anybody who had their eyes open that this team was going to develop and get better as the season went on. And that's exactly what's happened. 
Well, and what I would just add to that is, of course, you were relying on a number of young offensive linemen, okay? So you want them to get a few games under their belt till maybe you throw a little bit more at them in terms of the playbook and they get more comfortable. Number two, you lose Saquon Barkley in the second game of the season. So now from Jason Garrett's perspective, okay, I'm planning to use Barkley, A, B, C, and D. Now I've got to adjust my thinking. So now Goldman and Morris are getting more and more comfortable as their roles expand. And then you lose Sterling Shepard in that same game. He was out for a little bit. So other wide receivers were called on. So to me, it was the combination of new scheme, new coaching staff, and then losing critical players in the early stages of the season. That's why I don't think it's a coincidence that now as you're 10 games in, everybody is a little bit more comfortable with one another. Giants fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. Let's head back to the lines. Coach Marvin is in Delaware. What's happening, Coach? How you doing, Lance and Paul? Dude, how you doing, Marvin? What do you got for us? Huh? I said, what do you got for us? Great to great to hear oh, you call yeah. again. I mean, this is great now. Twice within a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I was gonna make a comment about what you and Lance were saying about Daniel Jones running the ball. I'm I'm more built like uh, Paul as far as old school. I grew up on '70s football, but I this situation, I believe you both in some sense people can be right on both. Um, comments and i think you both are right in both comments you have to be careful of uh, daniel getting hurt because i believe these running quarterbacks just a matter of time before you get caught on the football field <clears throat> when these defense well, i mean look at what happened to dak prescott and dak prescott's necessarily a big right. running quarterback so you never know i mean that's right. football i would argue yeah yeah and i'm not going to deny that lance you're right you can argue those points and and be um correct in them um, I, I like the play they had in the red zone with Daniel Jones on the second touchdown that got called back. It was a great timing. And I think to run him, it has to be timing. I don't want him to be a running quarterback. I'd rather be a scrambling quarterback or in that nature, like Lance was saying. Um, but that was a good call. I liked the call. It was very creative. It seemed like they was holding that play for a little bit before they used it, and I like that. Um, they also ran it again uh, another time in the red zone where he almost got uh, caught up into, like, two or three guys took really good shots at him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those are the I'm, I'm afraid of that he, he gets hurt or shook up or concussion, and that's where we have to be careful on how many times he runs a game. And um, so I think you both are right in that situation. Uh, my other comment is, um, actually, this is uh, – I'm not going to, you know, get ahead of my skis here. Because people are now, they won two in a row. Everybody's, oh, they're great. They're doing this. Uh, you got to pull no, back. Perspective a is always an important part of the conversation. It's yeah. a valid point. Yeah, we, we got three wins. They've been playing well all year. Um, they, they had an opportunity to, to have six wins this year, uh, some of those games they should have won. Um, but my thing is, I always used to tell my teams that, that, or the coaches, there's three phases of us learning how to win. The first one, before we can learn how to win, we have to learn how to compete. And this team is competing, and that's, that's the number one thing that's on my list. Can you compete? And this is the first time in a while I've seen this team compete. Even in uh, uh, McAdoo's first year, I think they won, what, they won 13 games or something that year? They won 11 I, that I year. Yeah, they made the playoffs. They won 11 that, yeah. I, I feel more comfortable with this team in the way they're competing than that particular team, than the way they're competing. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody, but that's the way I see it as watching the team play as a team compared to that team. I would um, add one other so- thing, Coach Marvin. Not only is this team playing a little more cohesive in terms of the fabric of the unit of the team, I also think this team is a much younger team, yeah. which has a lot more upside. Yes, and they are a young team, and I was going to get to that on my second um, part, I was going to say. Um, so right now we're competing, and then I always used to say, once I can get the team to compete, then it's, then it, we have to teach them how to win those games that we're competing in. And once you start winning those competing games, then the next level you want to go, you want to win games that you're not supposed to win. And those are the games where the coaching come into play and where I have to have plays in my pocket where, you know, at certain times those plays come up and it makes a difference in a game that we're not supposed to win. 
So those phases, I can see it developing into that sense that they're starting to do it. I, I, they're not there yet. They only won two in a row. I think it's two in a row. They yep. still got to be more consistent. Um, they're not as uh, consistent as I like them to be, but they are competing. And uh, that, that's the thing I'm, I'm happy with them. Um, the offensive line, uh, I agree with Paul when he said they are, they are average teams. And that, that's not bad. They are average teams. But I can see the offensive line growing compared to what we were uh, a few years ago. I can see them developing together a cohesive unit, not just five guys across the board. They bring in guys off the bench playing the offensive line. And this Lemieux kid, uh, he, he's a player. He's definitely yeah. a player. Um, I, I'm, I'm proud of the way these guys are, are playing. These young guys are playing well. Uh, Bradbury's playing well. I mean, you can go down the line. I can even give credit to Matt, the young receiver, and I can see a little bit of slate in him when he plays, uh, that he's developing into a pretty good receiver. And uh, so they, they, they're doing a good job. So uh, I was proud of the way they planned, but we got a long way to go. Three wins is, is not going get, to get it, but – just no, well, it's going to take wins outside of the division, obviously, to complete the job, yeah. and that's what really lies ahead after the bye. And Coach, appreciate the phone call. I think that it's a testament, some of those points, to the coaching staff, Paul, what we were talking about earlier, some of those guys that were named and coaching them up and getting them on the field. The one thing, though, that I want to piggyback a little bit off of, and Joe Judge, I thought, gave a fantastic answer, Paul, if you recall, because he was asked about learning how to win this phrase that a lot of people throw around. I'm not too fond of it, not a big fan of it. I think it's simply the team is learning how to execute consistently, okay, and learning how to correct the issues that plagued them early in the season. And therefore, that translates to finishing games. Because as Joe Judge pointed out, Paul, you can perform like you did against the Eagles yesterday, and then you come out after the bye, the Bengals are going to present a completely different look and a completely different challenge than the Eagles did. So every week is a completely new script. So therefore, if you tell me, well, they learned how to win this game, that doesn't mean that learning how to win that game is going to apply the same way to learning how to win the next game. No question. Because you know what? Even though Jones has gone now almost nine quarters without an interception, if he throws one interception against the Bengals, people are going to say, oh, he's falling back into his bad habits exactly. again. Yeah. Because that's what people do. They overreact to each individual victory. What we're trying to do here is we're trying to take a collection of, of two and a half months of a season, and we're trying to show you how, like, you know, if you look at the stock market and you'll take a look at the graph and you see the graph is going up or it's going down or whatever the case may be on a given month or a given week, what we're trying to tell you is that since day one of the regular season, the Giants' line is clearly advancing and going up. It is going in the right direction. That's the whole point of this, okay? That's the whole point of this conversation. We're not telling you the Giants are going to win this division. We are not telling you that you know that, that that's going to get them. Uh, they're going to win it and go to the playoffs. That they're going to win out the rest of the season. Lance and I are not telling you that at all. We're simply telling you that for the first time in a long time, the Giants have a coaching staff and a roster that clearly has the line going in the right direction. It's a steady, slow incremental climb that is going in the right direction. That's the most important point that anybody should take out of today's show. The New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you here. Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, recapping the Giants' 27-17 win over the Eagles as they win two straight, heading into the bye, now sitting at 3-7 and seven overall. Let's head back to the lines, and Adriana is in Massachusetts. Adriana, what's happening? Hi, guys. How's it going? We're doing very Hi. well. How about yourself? Good. Good. It's a lot better Monday when we win, especially after that game. Although I have to say... I really held my breath until the clock went down to zero because you just never know with these guys. Um, but I was glad that they pulled it out. Um, I have a question for you. And, you know, I heard Jones speaking last night to you guys, and he was saying that, you know, when asked about the lack of turnovers in this game, he said that, you know, a lot of it was a team effort, which 
Of course it was, but in the past, you know, a lot of the turnovers have unfortunately fallen down on him. So my question for you, and I will take this off the air, is have you guys seen anything specifically with Jones in the last two games that he has done differently that has really made the change with the lack of turnovers? And I think that we've seen him, you know, he's gotten better at throwing the ball away and he holds the ball with two hands. But aside from that, have you guys seen anything else that you think he's done that really has made a big difference? Well, I alluded to it earlier in the program. I counted two sacks yesterday and two sacks against Washington last week where you could see he had looked maybe to that first, second, maybe even third progression, and then just said, you know what, I'm going to eat it. And just just stepped up into the pocket and ate the sack. And I just get the feeling from watching him over the first year and a half of his career here that he would have been more likely to force that ball downfield in those exact spots. And that, to me, is a huge step forward in the maturing process. Well, I think another example is, and appreciate the phone call, Adriana, thanks so much for chiming in here, is this was something that I saw, Paul, even in the two-interception game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You remember, remember late in the game, there was also a situation where he got pressure, and then he yes. just airmailed one towards the sideline. Remember that? Threw it out of bounds. Correct. So I feel like I've seen a little bit more of that, and that been falls coming. in line to exactly what you were talking about, the decision-making. That, I think, is probably where he's come a long way over the last few games, and it's just learning, hey, we could just live to see the next down, or if I get an incompletion, it's not the end of the world. If we get the special teams unit out and punt, that's fine. I'm not putting my team in danger. I think those are the little subtleties, maybe, that probably jump out to me the most. And Lance, part of that is all about confidence, because here's the thing. You're going to be much more willing to risk a play downfield if you don't think you can come back on the next play and make up for the play that you just ate. Sure. Okay? Yeah, and, that, and that, to me, that's the mental process that had to grow within Daniel Jones's psyche. He now is understanding that, you know what, first of all, it's not smart to take the risky way out. And number two, this offense is getting better. The running game is better. The offensive line is better. Our, our, the receivers are making more plays. Oh, guess what? It's not so bad to eat the ball anyway because on the next play, we can rebound and make a play. And, and that's, that's you can't underestimate the value of him trusting the process so that he can realize that is the smarter of the decisions that he can make while he's getting pressured. Well, and I also think it's him seeing what the rushing attack has done too and putting him in also manageable downs and distances and also realizing, hey, we could come back, we could run the ball effectively, I don't have to do it all by myself. It's more of the mentality of early in the season with some of the guys sidelined. I got to play hero ball. I got to put the cape on, Paul, every single play, right? No I doubt. Make something special happen. Now, maybe more of the mindset, okay, we could take a step back, we could breathe, guys are developing, the offensive line is playing better. If we go three and out, it's not the end of the world. Early in the season, the Giants went three and out. It was almost like you were giving away, you know, your life earnings, right? Because you know you weren't going to gain any investment back with what you gave away. Now I think it's a little bit more of a different philosophy. And I think all of those things have certainly been evident over the course of time. One other thing I want to throw out quickly just to show you an example and further illustrate what Paul and I are talking about. Paul, if you remember, there was a play in the game. I don't remember what it was drive-wise, but... Carson Wentz was literally going to be brought down, and he got rid of the football. And when he did that, I was like, Carson, you sure you want to do that with your turnovers this season? And that, to me, is where Daniel Jones has learned. If you're going down, make sure you secure the ball, go down. Don't try to throw it, because the minute you try to throw it, you're not going to get as much juice on the throw, and that's when you're going to either fumble or you're going to throw an interception. So those are the things I think the Eagles want to see Carson Wentz improved, just like the Giants were emphasizing that to Daniel Jones. Well, again, Carson Wentz has been in a situation where he's had seven different combinations along his offensive line. I believe it was the eighth combination now yesterday against the Giants. So Carson Wentz, philosophically, has probably been thinking a lot of the same things that Jones has had to go through. Well, I don't know if my line's going to hold up on the next play. So if I eat the ball on this play, we're probably going to get creamed on the next play, and I've got no chance to make up the difference. 
It, I mean, really. He, he, his receivers weren't there the first half of the year. His offensive line was a jumbled mess. He, he had lost Sanders for, for several games. Is it any wonder that maybe he was of the mentality that I can't afford to eat a play? And, oh, by the way, when you looked at all these turnover numbers amongst the quarterbacks in the league, who were the guys who were at the top? <laughs> Those the two. two. <laughs> the two guys yeah. who were in situations when they didn't believe they could afford to throw away a play. Does, does this make sense to you, Lance? That's football, right? Carson went 16 giveaways, Daniel Jones 13. The top two highest numbers in the NFL coming in, and not one of them has any turnovers. Once again, sometimes you could study the game as much as you want, and the results are the complete yeah. opposite. It's it, just crazy. It, yeah. So often, it's not that hard. Sometimes people just need to open their eyes and see the trees for what they are. Instead of, you know, just wanting to fire arrows at people. Let's head back to the lines. Mike is in Oakland. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Mike? Hey, Paul. Hey, Lance. Good morning. Hey. Good morning to you. Hey. Yeah, man. Great morning. This is That was my favorite game in what felt like years, except for maybe UI's last <laughs> win. Um, but, you know, I think um, you guys talked about two things today, which are really, really why I called. You already touched on them. And um, one is about Daniel Jones, which ties into the second thing, which, you know, Paul, when you said, you know, the team's going in the right direction, um, and you, you talked about the coaching staff, and that's, that's really what I called about because I think we finally got a head coach. And I, I'm excited about this guy to see the team make progress, like steady progress, to see the way he handles internal discipline, con- consistent message, attention to detail. I mean, all these things he's doing, you know, yesterday I thought that um, Jason Garrett called an excellent game. I thought he called a good game last week. I think Patrick Graham, same thing. But the biggest thing that this team is showing me and showed yesterday is that when things go badly, I mean, a couple things happened that, you know, that really could have have caused, caused us to flip around and lose that game. You know, you talked about Darnay Holmes' pass interference. It was early in the game, so it wasn't that big. But, you know, Boston Scott stepped out of bounds definitely once, maybe twice. That's a touchdown for Philly. You know, Andrew Thomas, when they called that holding call, you know, there was illegal hands to the face by the defensive um, tackle on that play. Those guys were fighting it. You know, normally that's a no call, and there's almost nothing of a holding call. And that took a touchdown off the board for us. So that's adversity, and this team is learning how to play through that stuff, and that, that's exciting as hell to me. You know, I want to make one, one comment to you because I talk to my father about this all the time, and my dad is one who loves to throw out that phrase, you know, don't leave it in the hands of the officials. doesn't matter how many calls may have gone against you, whether they're right or wrong. You've got to win in spite of that. You've got to play better than that so that the officials can't impact the result of the game. And I say to my dad a lot of times, yeah, but, Dad, here's the problem. There's so much mediocrity in this quicksand of mediocrity league that most teams cannot play above the officials. They can't overcome those things until at some point in time they become good enough to where maybe they can pull themselves out of the quicksand a little bit. And I think we're now seeing the Giants are starting to climb out of that quicksand a little bit. And, and what you saw yesterday is a great example. I happen to agree with you. I didn't think that they got the benefit uh, on a couple of officiating calls yesterday. And maybe a month ago, they lose the game. But that was not the case yesterday. They played well enough at all of the phases to overcome a couple of things that certainly could have short-circuited them in the past. Well, the other thing that happened is after that Boston Scott touchdown, the Giants responded with their own impressive touchdown drive. And normally in the past, or for other teams, it's not just the Giants, you could argue, all right, here we go. Eagles open the half with a touchdown. How'd they do it, Lance? How'd they do it? How'd they do it? They made contested catches. Yeah, of course. And then they finished with the rushing attack in the red zone. So Bingo. A combination, yeah, Bingo. all those factors. But all, goes back to the, to, to the, yeah. all goes back to the checklist that I keep telling people yeah. about time after time. Well, but that also restored a double-digit lead after, hey, the Giants go three and out or they punt back. All the Eagles need now is a field goal to tie the game. And, you know, who knows how things play out. So that's why I thought that was a critical point of the game as well. The game is a spider web. The game is a table of dominoes. And all of these things affect each other. Nothing is done in a bubble in the National Football League.
Yeah, same thing with the quarterback play. Yeah, I'm 100 percent in agreement with you. I mean, those are all critical points. I'm 100 percent agree with everything you just said. And really, the the point though that I want to emphasize is this is a young team, and in order to make those contested grabs, in order to make those next plays, you have to keep that mental toughness. You have to keep the energy going because it's deflating, you know, especially when you feel like, hey, man, that guy, he clearly was out of bounds, right? I mean, and that's a touchdown. Like young teams, they get deflated, and they don't make that next tough play. And that's why yesterday, man, I just couldn't be happier because this team, nose to the grindstone, they didn't deflate, and they made the plays. And before I go, I I want to throw out two. I want to talk about Daniel Jones for just one second because the play that got me up off my seat in terms of just long-term future hope was the one where, you know, we were down inside the 20 and um, the the coaching staff did a great job because Daniel Jones was up at the line with enough time to do a hard count to try to get a, you know, see what it was the defense was doing. Right. You know, the linebacker came up to the line. It looked like they were going to run a run blitz and he had Dion yep. Lewis in, you know, kind of tight protection, maybe looking like they were going to do a run play he saw the linebacker cheat up, changed the play, called an audible, sent Deion Lewis wide, and tossed the first down on the left sideline. You know, I've been waiting, you know, since Daniel Jones took the helm over for exactly that to happen, for him to recognize that the defense is in a good defense for the called play and to get us out of a bad play and into a good play. And 100% that's what he did. It was a key first down when we needed to get out of our own you know, end zone in bad field position. And just that once again, you know, the coaching staff had an impact on that, getting the play in early. Daniel Jones' recognition threw a good ball. I mean, it, it was just good football. Made me so happy. Yeah, I think that was an example we brought up earlier, and appreciate the phone call, Mike, in terms of guys going above the X's and O's, which you hear a lot, to make plays. That's why I didn't want to really say it was just the wide receivers that did it because the Lewis catch was Very significant true, up the left sideline. Very but, true. It was also an example of Daniel Jones observing what he sees, and that comes with experience, okay? Even Eli Manning, Paul, who is very good at making changes at the line of scrimmage and adjustments, he didn't come in in 04 and all of a sudden, first of all, have the freedom and flexibility to do that, number one, and then number two, see things as good as he then started to see as the years progressed. So it's no different than, I think, what Daniel Jones is going through. You see different schemes, you study more film, you pick up tendencies, and therefore you're better at now counteracting what the defense throws your way. Just remember, Daniel Jones has now started two dozen games in this league, and Parcells always said that you had to have 30 starting games from your quarterback before you started to settle in with the guy and figure out what it is that he is. All right, well, so, that means you got the rest of this season and then some then until we get to that. You know, and, and, and this is why, you know, for years and years, and I know it's not the way they do things anymore in this league, it really is better not to have to ru- rush your rookie quarterback into the starting lineup right away. It, you know, if he can hold the clipboard for a year – you're really going to be better off in the long run. As good as Patrick Mahomes is, don't forget, guy sat the entire season all but one game. Yep. Okay? The last game. And the only reason why he got in is because Kansas City already had clinched the playoff spot and knew where they were going. So It, it gives him a better starting right off now. point. It gives him yeah. a better starting off sure. point to start his progression once he gets into the game. Plus, he had a veteran quarterback in Alex Smith who he was able to learn to. So, not that that's going to work out for everybody, but I think you look at Aaron Rodgers, you look at Phillip Rivers with Drew Brees, a lot of good examples where it did not hurt or stunt the development of the quarterback. Let's head back to the lines. Hugo is in New Jersey. What's happened to Hugo? Hey, good afternoon, guys. Hi. Um, hi. Uh, well, you know, coming into the season, um, and this may be somewhat aligned with uh, John's views, I thought the team would definitely be around 2-7, and seven, and I predicted they'd win the two games against Washington. Yesterday's game was, for me, a show-me game. And, boy, I, I think the team really sh- showed me something, uh, given the fact that uh, Philly uh, had a lot of their players back, and for the most part their offensive line was intact uh, for that game. So um, it, it was a real hopeful sign for me. Um, you know, w- one thing I must say is, you know, Coaching is a competitive advantage, I think, for this team now, uh, and that hasn't been the case for a long time. I know the the head coach and the coordinators get a lot of the credit, but 
you know, you gotta. It, I think it's the entire coaching staff, and I You're just right. want to, uh, to give some credit to some of the uh, positional coaches. And I'll just name three uh, that I think are key. I think Colombo, uh, Nick Gates' progress at center has been nothing short of remarkable. I think getting the Mew ready to play and sort of the, the general improvement across the offensive line. Uh, so I got to give some credit there to Coach Colombo. Uh, Coach Burns, the musical chairs at running back this season and the adjustments he's made and the fact that he's getting the best out of Wayne Goldman. I want to give him some credit. And I think Jerome Henderson because, uh, you know, that second cornerback spot, uh, which could be a, a horror show, has been for the most part managed uh, fairly well. And you see development of uh, Jabril Peppers and, you know, you just, you just see improvement in players. So, Yes, the schemes are good. Yes, uh, Coach Judge manages it well and sets the right culture. But some of these uh, people working behind the scenes, working hard with the players, is, I, I think, really the reason why, in many ways, we won the game yesterday. I do well, want to Ty make... Tolbert is another guy I think that deserves credit, you know, with some of the movable yeah. parts at wide receiver. I know he's been on the coaching staff previously. And in fairness, listen, I don't want to take away anything from Burns, but Goldman has always shown flashes. It's just a matter of him now this year being in the lineup consistently. That's what really yeah. it comes down yeah. to. I mean, you could go back to Goldman at times where he filled in for Barkley previously. The guy was productive. He just didn't have a lot of playing time after that. Look, I will say this, top to bottom, and you've heard me talk about this staff from the minute that they put it together. I just think it's a great coaching staff. And and to be fair, though, you know, Tolbert's a holdover. Obviously, Quinn and McGahee from special teams are holdovers. There were a few guys, just a few, who were holdovers, and they deserve credit for what they've done this year, too. Yeah. So I I do want to mention – one coaching uh, dichotomy, I guess, in the game, which is uh, I, I think Doug Peterson really coached pretty poorly in that game. And um, I thought, you know, they were really going to stick stick with the run and some of his play calling. I mean, it was obvious to me the Giants were winning against the passing game. That's evidenced by Philly not converting on third downs. But they could gain five yards at will in the running game. And I thought – they would go to much more of a heavy package and just try to, uh, you know, run the ball down our throats consistently in the second half. It kind of started that way, but then they started doing weird things like bringing James Hurst in the game. I, I didn't really understand the coaching from Philly. And one, one thing I did observe, which, and this is just a slight criticism, is I didn't understand why we started the game with two down linemen only. Because if you think of it, our down linemen are our strength. Um, and I didn't understand that. And by the way, we adjusted because then we brought in the three down linemen and we brought in David Mayo, who's a, a rump hugger, and they were still able to run the ball. I was sitting in my chair sort of saying, okay, you got to go to the four down linemen. <laughs> because uh, I really thought that that's the way it was going to play out. Um, but Doug Peterson kind of let us off the hook. So let, let's let's ditch the two down lineman look would be one recommendation if I had to make one. Well, you know, I, you I, I will say this in terms of his comment about the Giants coaching staff, whether or not you feel uh, that the Eagles did not coach a good game. I, I, I don't know that I would say that as much as I believe that the Giants coaching staff on both sides of the ball, they were brilliant. I thought that the game plan uh, was was just terrific the way the Giants were able to mix things up and be balanced when they had to be. They took deep shots when they needed to. And then defensively, I mean, if, if you've listened to uh, any of the stuff that Baldinger did on uh, on his film cut-ups or even listened to some of the TV copy, I think Spielman did the game, right? Uh, you would yeah. you would realize that the Giants were doing a really good job uh, with their pressure packages. And even last week's game, they were talking on the telecast about uh, in Washington at how the Giants were using pre-snap things to confuse uh, um, Smith. Uh, so, you know, let's just talk about the fact that, yeah, the Giants now have a good chance of going into a game every weekend of coaching the other team. And, and that is something we have not seen in a long time. Yeah, plus as far as Peterson's play calling, They've brought in Hurts before, so that wasn't anything new. It's not as if he dug deep into his bag of tricks. I think what really hurt Philadelphia, I mentioned they were 0 for 9 on third down, 
But the three early downs for them in the first half, third and one, third and three, third and one. I mean, that was killer because you had opportunities to extend drives. And I don't know if it was so much what the Giants did. For example, one of those third and ones went slipped, Paul. Okay. Yes, the did. Giants didn't do anything. He just no. slipped. So if you're no. Peterson, that's not anything play calling. Yeah, that's, that's not just on him. sucky timing. You you're know? right. You're yeah. right. You're right. So, you know, you, you know, got to look what, at the what, context. What we yeah. don't know is what did the Giants show during the pre-snap read that maybe threw Wentz off? Maybe he had a play that he wanted to use, or maybe he didn't opt out of a play because he thought he saw something. This is the, the game of chess that happens during the pre-snap read that none of us can identify because we're not in the quarterback's head and we're not in the middle linebacker's head. But, but that gamesmanship that goes on during the pre-snap read has a tremendous impact on what happens during the play. And none of us really have the ability, especially with COVID, when we can't talk to the players and coaches at will as we used to, Lance. We just don't have the ability to dig into that. Let's head back to the lines. Ayub is in Georgia. Ayub, what's happening? What's going on, fellas? Hi. Doing all right. What do you got for us? All right. I just want to say uh, happy Monday, and it feels good to be a Giants fan. Uh, and I definitely um, I want to start off my statement with uh, we all know that Daniel Jones is an athletic quarterback. I think he ran a 4-5 or 4-6 coming out of the combine. And he also ran and, at uh, Duke, too, it's important to note. I mean, they had plays where he would run at Duke. Yeah, yes, exactly. So um, my, one of my questions I have, too, um, is I'm wondering why is it now as the past, like I think it's been the past couple of games, have we just now, I feel like his athleticism has just been showcased. The first couple of games, they didn't do a lot of the read options. Um, I don't know if it was because of Saquon. I think uh, it showed that he had about like zero rushing attempts or so. I, I do think part of, it, part of it's out of necessity because the Giants had to get a little more creative uh, knowing that Saquon was not there, they had to kind of think out of the box a little more to get their offense sparked. But interesting, Lance, yeah. and I, I don't want to lose the call here. I just want to say David Sills, who, you know, was a college quarterback at first and then became a mm -hmm. wide receiver later. It's kind of funny because, yeah. yeah, because his athleticism, I think him and Daniel Jones are very similar style of athletes. And I honestly had had... Uh, Daniel Jones not wound up being a quarterback when he was at Duke. I think he's the kind of guy who would have been that type of guy who could have converted into a wide receiver. Definitely. He's got the size I definitely to do it, agree with that because he definitely has the, the height and the athleticism. But don't, don't you guys think that it would add an extra wrinkle to the offense and make it that much more for defenses to game plan for us if we kind of had that? Obviously, he's not as – athletic as Lamar Jackson or explosive as Lamar Jackson. But if you had that in your offense where the defense would have the game plan for Saquon running the ball and Daniel Jones running the ball before Saquon got injured. Yeah, I have no problem with it. As I mentioned earlier, we were talking about that exact subject. And I think a quarterback always needs to know when to slide and when to go for the extra yardage. I mean, RG3, I think, is a good example of that, getting hurt in his rookie year. And Pat mm -hmm. Shermer utilized it a little, too. Remember, Daniel Jones' first game, I mean, he had plenty of running attempts against Tampa Bay, yeah, which completely I'm, I'm, yeah, stunned exactly. them. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm talking about this year with this coaching staff. I feel like with Jason Garrett and Joe Judge, like they – it's like uh, it, it, it was like when Saquon went down, it was like, okay, well, shoot. Let's turn to Daniel Jones. Like, he's going to be our leading rusher now. So, like, before Saquon got injured, if they would have had that ran that read option with Saquon, not only would it have probably opened a lot of things for Saquon, but obviously for the passing game also. And then um, the one thing that I wanted to ask about you guys also with the defense uh, about Xavier McKinney. Like, what do you guys see as far as him coming in uh, after the bye week? And uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of uh, the situation with um, DeAndre Baker. He's All the charges have been dropped against him. What do you guys see about him, uh, possibility with him returning to the team? And I'll take that answer uh, off, off the phone. All right, I appreciate the phone call. As far as the injured players are concerned, now that the Giants have their bye, I think there's three guys to watch out for, Paul. I yep. think number one is, of course, O'Shane Zimenez. He would be number one. Number two would be Tate Crowder. And then number three, of course, would be Xavier McKinney. Those are three guys that Joe Judge has spoke about to the media over the last few days. 
and they would all be eligible to come back after the buy. They didn't really want to rush the 21-day window prior to the buy, and I understand that. But, you know, McKinney maybe is a little bit more of a wild card compared to the other two. McKinney has made progress running on the side with the trainers. I think a lot will depend on what he does during the bye week and him getting on the practice field and taking part with the team. I think that's the next step. I don't think it's crazy to think that we could see a little bit of McKinney down the stretch, at least for experience standpoint. Yeah, so I would agree with you. I think the interesting thing here is that when you talk about Crowder and uh, Zimenez, Kyler Fackrell has become the full-time weak side linebacker over the course of the last several games. And I think the Giants are happy, even though his production statistic-wise has not been anything to write home about, I think they're happy with his presence, his leadership, the fact that he's in the right position and he doesn't get caught out of place very often. Uh I'm, yeah, I'm interested to see when those kids come back, how do they work in those snaps? And, and is Fackrell going to be coming off the field some more? Or are they going to be comfortable with what he has shown and say, let's just keep things the way they are? That, to me, is a very interesting Rubik's Cube. And as far as McKinney, I do think they'd like to work him in some. Again now, are you, are you, you, to do that, you're going to be talking three safety package because there's no way in the world you're pulling Ryan or Peppers of off course. the field. But it's a good problem to have to try sure. to get all these guys on the field. Sure. I don't think Patrick Graham's going over to Joe Judge and saying, I don't know, Judge, I, I can't really use another player. So, you know, keep him on IR. <laughs> it, it, it's certainly it, it's a good issue to have because Joe Judge and Patrick Graham have capitalized on the entire roster. As far as the last point, we're not going to ignore it. I've seen the reports with respect to DeAndre Baker. There's really nothing to comment. I mean, at this point, the Giants parted ways with him, and time will tell whether or not he's going to get another opportunity. But I think at this point, based on how the Giants are playing, based on who they they're working with. They're going to use the guys on the roster. And until something dramatically changed on that front, I wouldn't expect any dramatic changes in terms of a new acquisition from that standpoint. No, the so only help, I, to, the only help yeah, I think you're going to get at corner, Lance, is that Ryan Lewis will come off injured reserve. Yeah. Exactly. But he's been a guy that's been in the mix and he's yes. been with the team all yes. through camp. So what Correct. I'm saying is somebody internally more than likely to help the team down the stretch than somebody externally or who hasn't been with the team. Indeed. I think that's at least a fair way to put it. So that is going to wrap up the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcasts. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll be back up and running again at noon Eastern on Tuesday. Enjoy the Giants' victory. Enjoy the rest of your day. And always stay locked to Giants.com. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. We'll speak to you on Tuesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.